Gyro Nation Metal. Welcome back to Gyro Nation Metal. My name is Jeff, and I'll be your host. Nathan Bigelow and Alex Haddad of California's Archaic join me today just before the release of their sixth album, Labyrinth of Hungry Ghosts. Nathan and Alex both have a wide range of experience in the death metal realm, belonging to additional bands such as Desiderium and Singularity. Labyrinth of Hungry Ghosts will drop just three days after the release of this episode on March 11th. Be sure to check it out. Gentlemen, thank you and welcome. Yeah, thanks for having us, Jeff. Thanks yeah. for having us. Uh, <clears throat> to kick things off, what are you guys most excited about, about uh, for the release of Labyrinth of Hungry Ghosts? You want to go, Alex? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, dude, a lot of stuff. Um, it's kind of like finally somewhat of a return to normalcy for us because we got the album coming out that we've been, it's been like material-wise pretty much done since 2020. Um, and we kind of thought it was going to come out then. So it's been a long wait just to get it out. Uh, but also, yeah, we've hopefully got like some live stuff coming up too that we can announce soon. So to be able to ce celebrate it with like a tour or just playing live, um, that's all the stuff I'm looking forward to. Yeah, yeah, exactly what, what Alex said. And um, for, you know, for Alex and I, um, obviously we were part of like the most recent single called Supernal Flame. Um, but prior to that, we haven't been on any archaic records or anything like that. We've just been doing li the live shows and stuff like that. So it's our first, um, introduction, uh, I think to at least the archaic fan base of being, you know, recorded on an actual archaic album and, um, that sort of thing. So we're pretty excited about that. It's true. Yeah. And uh, you guys have dropped two singles, if I'm correct, at the record at time of recording, right? Yeah, for the for the new record, uh, Labyrinth of Hungry Ghosts. Yeah, the the first one we dropped was uh, Wayward Opulence, which we had a music video filmed for, and then um, the most recent one was The Orphean Descent, which we just uh, had the music video released last week. And as we were, uh, we were chatting before the show, quickly. You guys are getting ready to do some live stuff and that's what you're looking forward to as well yeah yeah we're hopefully having a tour um announcement coming up here for a tour that's going to be in um june so it should be from june to july um and then hopefully we'll get some other stuff in the works then but we don't have anything else booked besides that one um which hopefully we'll be able to announce pretty soon here That'll be really yeah. cool. Um, are you guys planning on just staying in the States then? That one is, yeah. Yeah, I think so. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. Where have you guys traveled in the past for tours? Um, pretty much. Probably all North yeah. America. All North America we did. Um, we, we had um, a Europe one booked for 2020 that we were really stoked about, but that was of course in May. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> once April hit, it was yeah. like, nope, yeah. that's not gonna happen. Yeah, we were really excited for that too. Cause that was like, we've never been to Europe. So we were finally like, okay, let's do it. It was with Vervum and uh, Irreversible Mechanism and uh, Alter Beast. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, we were really stoked on that. And then yeah, it didn't end up happening. We tried, yeah, we tried to, <laughs> Nick, Nick from Vervum tried to rebook it for September of that year. And that also was, uh, canceled. So we just decided, you know, we're not going to do it. We'll have to figure out another time when we can maybe come out over there when things have to calm down. And you mentioned that you guys had most of 
uh, Labyrinth complete before or around 2020? Were you guys basically just waiting till everything's opened up to release it, or is was there other stuff in play? Yeah, there's other stuff. There's a lot of stuff going on. Yeah. Um, yeah, go ahead, Alex. I mean, I think the the quarantine probably just kind of screwed up yeah. everything. Um, yeah. Like beyond just like us being like, oh, there's not not shows happening and stuff, but you know, it kind of like um, had a heavy mental toll on a lot of people. So, um, you know, our lineup changed a bit. Um, so that, there's just a lot of massive changes with like couldn't have foreseen them coming at all. So um, it kind of just, there's a lot of pauses when working on the music, but we got like really back into it once our, um, our label started kind of getting on our ass, like in a really good way and wanted to help us get it done and try to get us stoked about it again. So yeah, just took a mm-hmm. while. <laughs> um, you said they were like getting on you guys in a good way. Like how did, how did that work? It's like health, healthy motivation. Like <laughs> you guys have this album that's done. Like you, you need to, you need to do it. Like yeah. finish recording it so we can put it out and like, you can have new music to, mm-hmm. to uh, get people excited. Yeah. About. So yeah. Um, there was a bit more of a, um, uh urgency to get it get some new music out um at the time because we had a tour that was booked with uh in ferry who uh it, you know they run our record label and um black crown initiate last year uh that was going to be in september or october or something like that so they were really trying to push us to get stuff done mm-hmm. um and everything was recorded and done there was just some people that we were waiting on that we had to kind of had to grab the material from them and, and give it to Mike and Malcolm so they could finish it up because it was just, it was taking too long for this, these people to finish some of the stuff on the record. Um, but then that tour ended up getting canceled. So it didn't really, you know, we, we, we then, then we were able to stick to kind of our, our original release plan, uh, which was just to release it this year, which is just, we're trying to have a more effective release strategy than, you know, last year we were trying to kind of rush it out because we were trying to get something to hype up the tour that we were about to go on. And you said that in, in Ferry runs your record label. Mm-hmm. Those guys are so busy. They're all over the place. They have so much shit going on. It's un- incredible. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Insane. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's like that when you go over there, um, like we went over there that last October to shoot some music videos and some playthroughs and, uh, yeah, those guys are machines. They're pretty much constantly working on something. Uh, from the minute they wake up in the morning, they're working on videos or mixes or, you know, doing something. Uh, so it's, yeah, it's pretty incredible. It's, a, it's definitely like an inspiration to like um, see that work ethic. And, and then you're like, dang, I gotta, I gotta step it up. I gotta get on that level, you know? Well, and I guess I can see how their pressure would be more positive than just like a regular record label saying, get this fucking done. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Cause they're, they yeah. were in the same yeah. grind. Yeah. Right. So like. I go through and I look at um, different bands and different, uh, well, I try to do some research and every time I turn over a new leaf, like somebody from Inferi or Inferi comes up in some way or another. It's crazy. Yeah. It really is like that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Their names are like in in the credits of like every other album yeah. in some form or fashion. And they put yeah. up some killer music too. It's crazy. I love it. Oh yeah, they're insane. They're mm-hmm. incredible. But yeah, they they really pushed us. Yeah. And then you know, like we had we had some uh, 
we, we haven't had a bass player for a while. We've just had some session guys. And uh, so when we needed to get the bass done for the album, uh, we were like, we, since we were on such a time crunch, we were like, well, maybe we'll just um, program it in or whatever. And Malcolm was like, no, 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 I'll do it. So like he had the bass tracked within like yeah. a week and a half or something like that. So he Malcolm tracked the bass yeah, on the album. <laughs> That, that too, just like um, him just like coming on board and then knocking out like one to two tracks mm-hmm. in a day. I was like, well, shit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like I've been recording yeah. these for over a year. Um, I guess I'll step it up. It just, yeah, it was kind of infectious. Like their, uh, <clears throat> their energy towards it rubbed off on us and we just kind of yeah. got to work until we finished it. And how are they to work with? Yeah, Really good. Yeah, it's a pleasure to work with them. They're very professional, um, incredible musicians, of course. Uh, but yeah, just like what Nathan was saying, like their um, their work ethic is really, really admirable. So just one, once they're in your sphere, like doing their thing, kind of just rolls yeah. off on you. So it was a very positive influence. Yeah, they kind of... Oh, great way to, oh, sorry. Oh, no, good. Yeah, it's fine. They they um, they kind of make it uh, feel like they're they're in the band the time that they're working with you because they're just like you know the, their focus is on whatever they're working on you know completely so it's uh, you know like from malcolm playing the bass or you know when they they give their actual opinion about what they like and what they don't like um you know just trying to get mm-hmm. us the best result and the best um uh, kind of reaction from people is you know, really helpful. It's like, it's like they actually care rather than they're just trying to like, you know, make money or get something done so that they can just kind of like start ignoring us or whatever. <laughs> yeah. yeah. More labels would yeah. have better success if they all took that approach rather than just being kind of a nameless corporation and setting deadlines for bands. Totally. Yeah. Agreed. So yeah, we're, we're thankful to be uh, on the record label and uh, yeah, I mean, we, I don't see any reason to be on a different one at this point. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Do you guys have yeah. like a, a long-standing partnership, or is it just a label, or sorry, um, an album by album basis? I uh, think album by album, right? Yeah, I think it's album by album basis. Um, but I mean, I imagine that we'll continue uh, for some time. Uh, you know, seeing seeing as you know the, the level of support that we've gotten, it's it's definitely uh, something that we need for sure. It's it's not like you know. With other record labels, it's not like just, you know, here's here's our name paste on your album, and you know, maybe maybe we'll do something for you here and there. But, you know, I think the level of support and like actually getting help from your record label is, you know, that's what they should be there for, and that's you know what we need, not just kind of like a name, you know. Yeah, hundred percent. And I think it's beneficial too when they're uh, involved in making music themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like I said, they're on the same grind. And they um, <clears throat> they just get it, like, on a different level. And I think it really reflects in the whole, like, roster of bands on that label. Um, I, like, just the whole culture on that label, like, every time they release something, people are, they're true fans of the label because they can, like, trust whatever they put out. And I feel like it's not, that level of trust is not really built with many other labels that I see. Um so yeah, they're just the real deal. I kind of get the feeling that a lot of labels just want to build their roster by picking any band that they can that they can. Um, 
but it seems like with these guys, they're picking bands that they believe in. Yeah. Just like believe in, um, there's a certain sound that I feel like they go for just anything. That's a little bit like cutting edge for lack of better words, but a little bit like futuristic sounding, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> which I think is really cool. Like that fusion of tech and jazz fusion and just extreme complexity mixed with like melody. Um, they, they definitely got their niche carved out. Mm-hmm. And I feel like you guys kind of do too. Uh, so speaking of technicality and um, basically just speaking of music, how do you guys feel that you have built upon the sound of Archaic from your previous album? Um, yeah, well, that's a good question. So the most, the most recent album was uh, back in, I think, September of 2017. It was called Nemethea. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, nor Alex uh, or I were involved in the writing or the recording of that record. Um, so that was uh, actually Gabe, Gabe Sieber um, was hired to do session drumming on that album. And then um, Greg Paulson was on guitar. And then Jared, uh, Jared actually, um, our vocalist writes a lot of the riffs and, and music for Archaic as well. You wouldn't know it, but he does mess around on his computer and and he makes riffs out of midi and he puts a lot of like uh thought and and ideas into the the song structure as well so it's not just like he just adds vocals after the song's done he's really creative in that regard too so um but i think uh, as far as like the sound goes you know like i have my own style um of playing that i've developed you know over the years and it's always changing um so it's like it's a lot more I don't know. I try to like add different dynamics and different um, aspects of drumming into my playing rather than just, you know, the standard metal stuff. I'm sure everybody says that, but, um, and then Alex's writing is really unique as well. And he's very, he's got a very uh, token sound to him. So it's almost like a new, a new band uh, in a sense, except for Jared. Uh, Jared does have a lot. He kind of brings over that archaic sound into whoever he's working with, but, um, it's, it's almost like a totally different sound or different band from the previous records, just because we're, you know, we're different people. So, um, it, it's kind of yeah. cool that way, you know? Yeah, totally. Do, do you guys feel any pressure to live up to previous releases? Um, not, not really, to be completely honest. Uh, like I, I love some of the, like Metamorphic Ignition, for example, that album, um, that album's pretty big to me. I think it's like one of my favorite tech death albums just in general. So, but I don't, I don't really like see it as a, a need to like compare myself to the past sound at all. It just is what it is. And especially since archaic has had so many different lineups and released music with different lineups, there's just kind of different chapters to the band. So um, I think we're just excited about like pushing this new sound. It's gotten a little bit, um, there's just more influences I feel in it now. It's not just quite as straightforward, brutal tech death stuff. Um, it's more proggy and like Jared's kind of, he's really into like, excuse me, really into like electronic music. And he even like put subtle hints of that in the new one. And I think we're going to try to just be even more experimental with the next one. So, um, yeah, it's just more like an exciting new chapter. Um, but we're also like all proud of the band's history and everything. Mm -hmm. I'm sure Jared, especially, Yeah. 
Yeah. That's a really cool attitude to have. I mean, a lot of people would look at a band's lineup change and, and want them to sound the same or they, they get pissed off because, you know, new musicians are brought on. But just saying it as a new chapter and moving forward is a really cool way to look at it. Yeah, Jared definitely gets a lot of credit for that because, like, he's the, the founding member and he's just totally open with us putting our personality into the music. Um, mm-hmm. It's kind of been easy for him to, like, you know, try to guide a very specific sound, but mm-hmm. he's totally for it, just, like, letting our letting our own styles come through the new stuff. Yeah, and that's, uh, you know, it's inevitable. A lot of people listen to a band because, obviously, they, they hear a band and they like the way they sound. They want them to sound the same record after record, but... Um, you know, I think if you're a musician, you have to, you know, understand that you're, you're trying to, you're maturing as a person and as as a musician, and you're constantly trying to either, you know, in, in competition with yourself to outdo the last thing that you did or to strike some kind of chord or emotion with the listener. Um, and sometimes that requires you to take a different approach than just playing the same thing over and over again. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, for me, you know, and. And uh, like Alex said, I'm not intimidated or, or, or worried to live up to expectations, but, you know, we are, we're following up like, you know, like Craig and Alex Bent, who's in Trivium now. And, uh, you know, um, there's a lot of really, really great um, and inspirational players and, and musicians that have been in Archaic. So um, really, I'm more just honored to be filling those shoes than anything. Same here. And being part of the band with musicians like that, you kind of uh, you kind of benefit from all their skill set, from all their sounds that come before you, because you can build on what you like and then change what you don't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and you know, like Alex can probably attest to this too. But you know, learning the old material, you know, when you have to learn somebody else's material, it has an influence on you because you're learning stuff that you wouldn't normally play or that you haven't played. So you're able to kind of like add that skill set to your arsenal and you can always like draw from that, um, you know, to try to maybe add a touch of the old archaic or, you know, something of that archaic sound so that, you know, there's still some familiar familiarity there not, not totally new, but um, yeah, other than that, we, we try to like stay true to ourselves and just play what we like. It's very true. Yeah. Like I, I used to not write, everything with palm muting but when i learned the old songs everything is palm muted so like that's just <laughs> that's little things like that that are just kind of a little subtle things that that make the band sound um like on the old stuff like there, there would be just gnarly guitar riffs and fast trim picking stuff um but it's like always palm muted it's like a very signature thing so yeah yeah little little notes i've taken from learning the old stuff has also influenced my current writing it's like a very intimate form of like research because you're trying to get those techniques down and be able to reach the same skill level and stuff like that. If, if there's different areas in which they're, you know, different or better. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So how did you guys, sorry, I wanted to ask a couple questions you touched on earlier that you guys had played for archaic in live um, performances before. Mm Mm-hmm. So were you guys like session musicians for them or how did that work? Yeah. So, um, you joined on first. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I actually, my band singularity, um, back in 2016 did a tour with archaic and veil of Nath. And, um, 
that's when I really, that's when I met Jared. And at the time, um, my buddy Dylan Walker was playing drums for them. And then Greg Paulson and, and, um, actually Adam, um, Roethlisberger, who plays bass for Vitriol right now. Um, he, he had been playing bass for Archaic for a while. Um, but yeah, they, they saw me with, uh, Singularity, um, and then uh, later on when they needed a, a drummer um, and I was mostly doing uh, session work for Alter Beast, they had hit me up to do um, a tour uh, for them um, where I would have to play for Alter Beast and Archaic uh, Double Duty. Nice. So, so yeah, I was like, okay, I'll help them out. Um, and then I started playing for them and we kind of just, you know, really vibed and that was like uh september of 2017 i think that i started playing for archaic um then then i did another tour in december with them of that year with uh we played with exhumed um and yeah near the end of that tour um you know just we it was me and and jared and and chris uh portugal and we were just vibing you know working uh working really well together so jared uh let us know that he you know he wanted to invite us on to be a part of the band and so um that's kind of where it started for me. Um, and then, you know, funny thing about Alex is that um, before I joined any of any of the touring acts and stuff like that, I lived in Arizona and uh, I was planning playing this local band called Existation. And um, uh, we had a bass player um, that uh, he left the band. So one of my other band members, uh, had mentioned to me that he found a new bass player. So during rehearsals one day, uh, Alex walks in and he's just shredding the bass uh, in this local band that I'm playing in. And, um, you know, after after a while, um, you know, I had joined Singularity and we were getting really busy. So um, I, you know, the, the local band wasn't doing a whole lot at the time. So I had just let those guys know that, you know, I uh, appreciate them, but I, I think I'm going to have to step away from that um, to focus on other things. So, um, you know, uh, and I had seen, I had followed Alex on Instagram as a result of that. And I noticed that he played guitar as well and he's really good. Um, so I was like, wow, that's awesome. You know, like, but then after the band kind of split up, we never, we hadn't talked for a while. Um, I think Alex went back to California. He can probably, um, explain that, but then, you know, maybe like a couple years later, he just randomly out of the blue text me, and he was like, Hey man, I'm back in Arizona. I just wanted to see what's up. You know, if you have any bands or anything like that, you know, that you're like trying to, that you need a guitar player or a bass player, let me know. And I was like, all right. So we had the devastation on the nation 2018 tour coming up. Um, and, uh, we had some internal, um, problems with, uh, some band members. So we had to get a new guitar player and, uh, just ha so happened that Alex uh, hit me up literally like right at the right time it's crazy yeah it's, it's coming back to me uh yeah I, I was getting um harassed on the phone like someone i don't know who they were but uh i was getting like 80 phone calls in one like one to two hours um <laughs> yeah, yeah it sounds really random but uh he's like sounded really threatening and i was like actually legitimately scared so i switched my phone number and then when i switched my phone number I was like, I'm just going to reach out to a few musician buddies and like, make sure we stay in touch. So like Nathan was one of like the three people I hit up. Yeah. So if it weren't for that, I don't know if we would have been person. chatting as much. So <laughs> yeah. 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 So shouts yeah. out to him. But yeah, that yeah. kind of just a lot of random events happened in a span of like one month. And then 
uh, yeah, he, he uh, reached out to me about that tour. And, yeah. um, I was like, so starving to play music and tour and travel, do anything with it. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Once I saw us for archaic, I'd seen them live and I remember they, they made a mark on me. So I was really excited. Yeah. We had a, we had, a, that was like a, a very high level of synchronicity. It was like, wow, perfect timing. And, uh, yeah, a little meant to be. Yeah. It was, yeah. it was cool. Yeah. It was, it was, that's kind of like how we, got our start in the band. So yeah, was, for me, it was back in 2016 when I met Jared with Singularity, but Alex, it was like, a, that was like a cool, you know, just like a lot of different small events that led up to, to that. And now Alex is, you know, he's got his, uh, Desiderium solo project. That's like really popping off and the new, the new archaics really popping off. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, it's really awesome how things work out. So Nathan, were you uh, using a burner phone to text him and phone him that many times? <laughs> yeah, basically <laughs> pulling the strings. By yeah, the oh, yeah. The puppet master. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, he he Alex, you know he uh, within like a couple days he shot us a video of him playing uh, playing metamorphognition like pretty effortlessly, and um, you know and that's that's what I like to see too. You know, it's like somebody who's not it doesn't it does it's not really like super like a lot of effort mm -hmm. you know to play the songs because then then you know it's like i mean the songs are hard so don't get me wrong but like when you see somebody that's like playing it smooth and you know with ease uh it's it's more gives you more confidence that they'll be able to play the rest of the stuff and you know kind of like keep up with everybody i guess yeah. the cat's here to stay it's and a cat. As soon as it's I start petting her, she fucks off. It's like, what do you want? <laughs> Terrible. What involvement do you guys have in the lyrical themes of the band? That's, uh, I feel like lyrically, that's where, like we were saying, Jared does do some of the music stuff too, but um, him and uh, one of the previous members, um, Chance, they, uh, they both kind of like founded Archaic together way back. I think when they went to like high school together, but um they've what am i trying to say they take the lyrics like really seriously like they have you know full-on meetings about it and writing sessions together they both kind of live near each other um so yeah personally i don't really have much connection yeah. to uh, making the lyrics I'm, i don't know about you nate yeah no no it's it's pretty much all jared and chance um and uh they they do have an ongoing narrative that goes that that uh spans throughout the records of, um, you know, like certain characters, uh, like Cyrix and Malevolex and, um, and all these characters represent, um, certain, um, sometimes certain, uh, like, like a hero or, um, can sometimes be, uh, compared to like certain aspects of Buddhism or Hinduism or, um, you know, different worlds and stuff like that. Um, so it, it does have like kind of like an underlying um, connection to that. Um, but yeah, we, we pretty much just leave that to Jared and, and Chance and they come up with stuff um, that is is really sick. And at this point, you know, it's kind of hard to like with my other band, Singularity, I, I actually do write some lyrics um, and help with the vocals. But uh, with this one, I pretty much leave it, you know, we leave it to Jared because he's got that thing going with Chance and they kind of have their own like story and everything and just haven't um i guess we're not as caught up <laughs> and able, able to write well, like, they, like yeah 
they're they're deep into it, man. Mm-hmm. So it's um it's hard to like just it's it's best to just kind of let them keep growing the the whole universe they've created. Yeah. But yeah, like Nathan was saying, so very much <clears throat> Jared goes he's very into this idea of like the hero's journey and facing like your your inner demons and not um not cowering to them like facing what's ugly and then finding the light on the other side like you know making it through the dark times to find um to find freedom Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) so yeah that's cool there's a few things i like there there's the positive aspect of it which i wouldn't traditionally consider metal um Mm -hmm. then there's the the continuous story so that because they have the same writers there's a lot of continuity there but then they're also bringing in personal experience to it that's a really cool way to set things up i think yeah 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 sort of like sci-fi but mixed with like relatable personal themes and triumphs and struggles it's uh they go pretty hard on it Mm -hmm. yeah that's awesome uh so whose idea was it to work with grindcore coffee that um i mean I had seen Grindcore Coffee, I forgot with who, I think maybe, uh, I think we were on tour with somebody, but I definitely had seen him online on Instagram. But Jared, I think Jared probably, Jared's kind of like, Jared's very business minded. So he's always looking for new avenues for us to get our merch out, to explore things. And I think we all had discussed that we, you know, liked coffee and I can't remember who showed him, who, who said showed him grindcore he might have found it himself or i might have shown him because i had seen it before too but um yeah it was definitely a mutual thing because i had i definitely had saw um seen it on instagram and i was like that's really cool uh we love coffee you know we're always like on tour we're like where's the where's the nearest the nearest starbucks uh or coffee (laughs) place like we get up and it's like that's the first thing we're looking for so uh and actually the coffee does really well um and I love the bags and the, like with the artwork on them, like so the, the bag is the coolest part. Yeah. It's, it's sweet. <laughs> I saved one of them cause you know, my band's on a coffee bag. That's cool. Yeah, <laughs> it is pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. There are a lot of bands that partner with like breweries and a lot of cool merch ideas. Like now there's face masks. I've seen onesies for babies and stuff like that. Yeah. But I think you're the yeah. first band that I've encountered um, making their own coffee. That's pretty sick. Oh yeah. Thanks man. Yeah. Actually the grindcore coffee, they do, I think they did aborted and they do a bunch of other bands now too, but yeah, we, um, it's nice to explore new, new avenues like that, you know, cause shirts is like, of course that's kind of like the bread and butter of metal bands, but, um, it's cool that I like have something that people will use. Um, that's, you know, actually useful or, you know, people yeah. enjoy rather than just the t-shirt or something like that. So, we have, we have yeah. some other cool stuff too. Like we made, we've been working like kind of uh, messing around with like print on demand stuff. So we did like a couple of runs of like some water bottles or um, maybe we're looking at like pop sockets or um, what, what else did we do? Like coffee mugs. And um, we did, we actually did face masks as well. So, um, and those actually do pretty well, you know, like we kind of thought like after maybe like a year, like nobody would, wear face masks anymore but uh it seems like that's they're not they're not really gonna go away yeah so i think it's actually a pretty good idea to continue um getting those easy shipping too yeah i remember at first we even yeah (laughs) yeah we felt like a little awkward about doing it at first because we didn't know how long the pandemic conditions would be the same so it's like uh do we feel weird about making a product like based on a 
shitty thing happening, but and now it's like, you know, now it's a, uh, it's kind of shown that it's here to stay. So yeah, it's cool to have masks with style. It's been cool. Actually, thinking back, there's a lot of really cool merch ideas. I've seen everything from like rolling papers to workout clothes, um, and I know Sabaton even has like a Risk style um, online game that's mildly fun. That's cool. yeah, that's pretty cool. <laughs> nice. I think we've definitely thought about like uh, like a video game or something like that before, but um, mm. I mean, at this point, I think like for me, um, playing a video game made by a band, you know, probably not something that would interest me that much. But because we're like we're serious gamers, yeah, so. like we're pretty, you know, we're pretty into gaming. So, not too yeah. casual, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but yeah, like it's. Uh, you know, like it probably would be something like we'd have to hire a developer and it would probably be like an 8-bit side-scroll game, you know, and there's only like a few types of people that would want to play that kind of game, you know, I'd imagine. So I don't know how well it would do. It would be cool. Like I, I definitely wouldn't be like against it, but I just think it mm. prob we probably would be better off spending our energy elsewhere. Yeah, that would probably be a project that would just pretty much benefit you guys. Yeah, yeah, we'd be <laughs> playing it. <laughs> like, you know, you yeah, made it, it once you turned into like... a video game. <laughs> Yeah, it could it could be something yeah. like yeah, if you if you get this certain score in the game or you beat the game, then you get maybe you get like a free piece of merch or something like that. Like that might be cool, mm -hmm. but you know. But uh, I can't think of any other way that that would be, you know, like something that people would be ju like jumping to get at. Are you guys? Planning... But maybe I'm wrong. Right. I don't know. I could be wrong. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt there. Um, are you guys are you planning fine? on moving into the NFT world? Um, yeah, I mean a little bit. We're, I'm, I'm kind of like, uh, probably the most well-versed in that area. Um, but still I, you know, sure. I'm not doing, uh, I'm kind of waiting still. Cause it like actually recently there was this, uh, website called, I want to say hit piece. Yeah. And like last week they posted up all these bands and, and musicians music on their website for sale as NFTs. Uh, without, oh, I kept seeing that around Yeah, without permission. Uh, periphery and all sorts of people were posting about it and uh i i went on twitter and read that they like they're like oh sorry we didn't mean to um you know step on people's toes we just really love music and all the artists get paid for the sales and yada 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 and i'm like well you know why don't you reach out before just putting somebody's music on a platform like i think that's kind of like a given yeah no but, shit. um yeah <laughs> uh but yeah, I mean, I think I think once um, we get some clarity on on you know where that goes and how we can set it up, right now that I think the NFT world is in in infancy phase. So it sometimes to create an NFT or to use the platform that an NFT is on is really convoluted and not uh, a streamlined experience for the user. Um, and so you would really only have people, you know, who are interested in cryptocurrency and NFTs uh, trying to trade the stuff. And I would rather do it in a way where it's just really easy for somebody to to purchase that and then the artists get credit for it. But yeah, I, I would I would like to get into it personally, but it would have to be easier and, you know, something that allows the artist to get compensation um, from the music, you know, as opposed to like maybe Spotify giving you a fraction of a penny mm -hmm. per stream. Um, and there's a lot of bands out there. There's millions and millions of bands and artists and 
you know, for everybody to be getting millions of dollars for their music is just, uh, it's not the way it is anymore. So, um, I think it's just one avenue that we can explore to try to stay afloat, um, financially as an artist, but now you really have to do a lot of stuff. You know, it has to be touring and, you know, putting out albums and making content and streaming and recording. And, you know, you have to have, you have to wear all these hats. Um, so it can't just be like, you just go and rock out and then make a bunch of money and everybody does everything else for you, you know? Yeah, right. You can't just play music and go on tour anymore. You have to have like a solid merch lineup and you have to mm-hmm. get into realms that you never thought. I mean, the one I, th- I don't think I've ever seen is like board games, but who knows? That'd be that cool. would be pretty cool. I feel like that'd be a great yeah. merch item. Yeah. And I, especially for archaic with the whole yeah. universe of it. Cause we do like um, my girlfriend and I, we go down to the game, the game store, the board game store every once in a while. And we'll, you know, just kind of like, just look around for games that are, uh, have a cool, like box mm-hmm. or like cool artwork on the box. And then, you know, what kind of game is it? Um, we've never really thought about that, but that could be cool make little figurines and like make cool artwork on the box and make it some kind of a, uh, like a adventure game or something like that board game. So would you say that uh, board games are one of your hobbies then? Sort of like it's more of a it's more of like a social thing. Like if my if I have family over or you know my girlfriend wants to play something other than video games, then you know we'll bust out. We have like a horror board game or um, you know just some other games. But personally, I do play a Magic the Gathering nice. uh, as well. So that's kind of like one of my other hobbies. Um, I've kind of like taken a break from it over the past couple of months, but I was pretty into it over the pandemic and. Um, I was playing a lot of Magic the Gathering with um, with my friend uh, Alex Cohen, who plays drums for Malignancy, and he's been doing uh, stuff for Contrarian, I believe, and just all over the place. He's he's incredible uh, drummer and, and really cool dude. He taught me a lot about Magic the Gathering, playing competitively. He's very very competitive with it, and uh, yeah, he's really good at whatever he does. So it was cool to learn that from him and kind of like get back into it that way uh when you're playing magic do you stick with uh, certain formats or do you have like a certain i don't want to say time frame that's a really weird way of um asking but like are there certain sets that you really enjoyed more than others um mostly we stick with um commander mm-hmm. uh or ed edh i guess um and uh the uh there's not really a, a set or anything like that that I like better than others. Obviously, there's some sets that I think that are more powerful, have more powerful car- cards than others. But um, yeah, the the thing that Alex was teaching me, uh, Alex Cohen was, um, a, it's it's um, competitive uh, commander. So basically, uh, playing with the most powerful powerful cards to try to win as quickly as possible, um, and. Uh, I'm still not that good, <laughs> not as good as those guys, but, uh, you know, there's a lot of different confusing combinations and, and what you would call lines to get through the deck, um, to try to win as quickly as possible. So, uh, whatever cards are not banned and are really powerful and work well together, uh, synergistic, then, um, you know, there's pretty much, uh, those are going in the deck, you know, if, if, uh, you can find a way to put them in there. I like how you touched on um, the strategies now because I had an issue 
uh, with one of my buddies who would, he would research the best strategies to win and he would always have like proxies in his deck. So he would have the best decks available, but he didn't pay for them essentially. And so I, I stopped playing with them. Uh, because the way I kind of grew up in Magic is I would go out buy the booster packs. I'd make my own strategies. There was no internet when I started. Um, okay. And this is kind of a segue into my first tournament. I went in with a direct damage deck. It was all red. Destroyed my competition. And one of the organizers for the event was like, hey, do you want to play a, a friendly game with me? I said, sure, why not? So we sat down okay. and he had like... It was like first or second edition. And I thought I was going to kick his ass. Like, I'm going to show this guy what's up. Two turns. He fucked me over. I was like, what? This doesn't make any sense. And I had no <laughs> idea what happened. I'm like, I've never seen these cards. That's not legal. And then he's like, read them. I'm yeah. Like, Fuck. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that that's the crazy thing is that like, you know, if you, if you really know the cards well and you know the deck well, um, sometimes you can win, you know, on the second turn. Um, and if people aren't ready to stop you, then the game's over, you know? So, and, you know, for, uh, for the people that I play with, um, proxies are totally cool. Um, just because, uh, especially with the, the, the price tag on some of these older cards now, totally. um, it's just insane, you know, like, so if, if you were really restricted to only playing cards that you could afford, um, the people who have the most money would win every time because, you know, the, the cards that are the most powerful are thousands of dollars sometimes you know yep so if, if you don't have money to play those cards then you're how are you going to compete with somebody who does yeah so that's why you know um in the play groups that i play with at least proxies are totally cool i literally have you know i have some real cards but i literally have some cards that are just literally a, a piece of printer paper black and white um and we're just playing that way because we're trying to we're, we don't want to lock people out of the game just because they don't have the money to pay for the cards you know um, and you still want to play competitively, you know, but I think there is merit and fun to play with people or play in a group that, you know, you just have the cards that you bought and that you can afford and you have to try to make the most out of those cards. And it's more, a little bit more like on the creative side of like deck building and stuff like that. Yeah. So in, in the competitive world, you're not going to be able to keep up unless you have those same powerful cards, like the dual lands and, um, Essentially, it's a lot of the mana, mm -hmm. you know. So they're just going to be so much faster than you if you don't um, have those cards to keep up with them. So that's why proxies are cool by by our standards. Yeah, it's just when you don't really know that the, the other person's playing with proxies, you get completely raped, and you're like, okay, well, that wasn't fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. I think I think it should be something you should discuss before the game. Like, hey, this is a really powerful deck, and some of these cards aren't real yeah. because it's a competitive deck, you know. Uh, a couple of ways that we circumvented it, we actually had like a booster draft, which was really easy. Um, mm -hmm. You know, you buy a booster box and you, you basically make a deck out of what you have. And then there was another time we didn't limit it to a certain set, but we said you can spend $30 on the deck. That's it. So building your own deck at the most came out to 30 bucks. And generally all the cards weren't that great, but it was fun because everyone was kind of on the same playing field and it was budget friendly. Yeah, I think that's what's cool about Magic is that like, you know, you can there's really any level you can play it at. You can make, you know, really casual decks where it's just combat, go to beat street, you know, turn for turn. And then, you know, then you get on the competitive side where it's like, you know, you get a little sweaty and you're trying to like win as quickly as possible. And, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know, it, there's, there's definitely some, some politics to it as well, you know, trying to convince the other players not to do something or not to attack you or, um, there's just a lot of aspects to the game, you know, so it's, it's a really, 
in depth and um, uh, malleable game. You know, you can you can really play it at any level. So yeah, that's why it's that's why it's lasted so long. I think. Oh yeah, you know, exactly. It's been, I, don't, I don't know how long it's been around, but it's over thirty years or something like that. I think it was uh, was it around nineteen ninety. I think so. Yeah, I'm not too sure, but yeah. I remember running into that originally when I was uh, grade four, so elementary school. Yeah, I haven't played sure. in probably four or five years because, like, well, the pandemic was part of it, but there was a lot of stuff going on mm-hmm. in my life, and some things fall to the wayside. But it is what it is. Yeah, yeah. So moving back no, into yeah, music, I've had a lot oh, of fun with it. good game. No, no, go ahead. Sorry, I was just gonna say, Alex, um, moving back into music. So you started uh, Desiderium and a founding member of Empiric. Did I say that properly? Oh, uh, Empiric. Yeah. So that's um, that's a band that I just um, recorded guitars for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And wrote solos, but that was that was my friend's music. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Nate, if I remember correctly, your first band was uh, Black and Skies. Or the first recorded band, at least. Um, yeah. For you guys both, what are the main differences between starting a band and then joining a band that's already kind of established? Um, Black and so Black and Skies, like that was my I, I had been playing with those guys since I was in high school. Um, so, you know, I think in that in that regard, the mindset I was in was a little bit different. Um, you know, I was like hoping that we would just like be playing a show and then somebody at the show there would be some maybe some record lo- uh, label executive at the show and he would see us and sign us and then we would just blow up and be able to do whatever we wanted um and that's just me being young i didn't know how anything worked um but obviously the the difference you know it, it depends on on what kind of connections you are because there are there are new bands that you can start and if everybody's already been in a band before and they have connections with people they've already networked um a lot of people know you already and your band is has a leg up kind of like they'll, they'll be like oh well that's you know uh nate from archaic and, and alex from archaic or you know that's so that's gabe sieber or whoever you know and they'll be like okay well obviously they know what they're doing so you know we can put them on this mm-hmm. tour or it'll be really a little bit of a um, advantage to kind of getting started um and then, uh, you know, the, the, the main thing is though that you don't have a huge catalog of music to draw from. Like Archaic has, you know, albums of material that we can play um, before Alex and I were even in the band. So like when we do a tour, it's kind of hard to choose. You know, we, we have a lot to choose from and a lot of different variety to try to match the same vibe of the tour that we're going on. So um, for an established band, it's, it's, uh, it's less work. Um, in that regard, because there's a lot of, you know, uh, material to, to draw from, and then you can kind of already work with the connections that have been in play for a while. Um, and that's, you know, I'm really thankful to, to Jared for continuing to keep the band going all these years uh, throughout, throughout all the lineup changes. It's not easy to keep uh, the same people in a band, um, you know, over a long period of time. It's, uh, you know, four or five people. Um, you know, everybody has different life situations. They have different decisions that they make. Uh, and, you know, you can't really um, force somebody to stay or force people to work together if it's not really the right environment. So um, I think, yeah, go ahead, Alex. Yeah, me, me and like me and Nathan growing up and like been playing music all of our lives, pretty much playing like high school bands. Uh, I think it's made us better bandmates too in Archaic because we, 
fully appreciate and like know how much work that archaic had to put in to like get where they're at. Cause there's just, there's so many factors to being a, a band at like any success level. You have to find like the right members, find a sound. Um, like for me, it was always just like, I could never find members for my stuff. That's why Desiderium's always been a solo project. Um, so yeah, just to join a band and like to see how much they've accomplished. It's like, it's kind of like, um, I don't want to say bypassing stuff because I've gone through all those struggles with my band. It's just, I've never gotten to like reach uh, levels of success with it. So it's really cool to join in onto a band that's already like covered a lot of, you know, climbed over a lot of mountains, I guess you could say. And um, just kind of like join up with them and pick up where they left off. Yeah, that is, that is the hurdle is like, you know, with Singularity and that's kind of like, we, we, I've been in with Singularity, not since a founding member, but I've been in the band a long time. And I was in the band as we first started touring. So we did the smaller tours. And then finally we did the tour with Archaic. And that was kind of like our hurdle to get over. You know, we haven't toured again since since then. But, um, you know, that is that is a big hurdle. Is like when you're in a local band and you're just starting out, you have, you know, the locale is just the area that you live in. And the networking you do a lot of the time is just with those people, you know. So you don't get a whole lot of opportunities to go other places all the time because you haven't networked with the entirety of the United States or all these booking agents or sure. all these bands from other places. So when you go on a real, like a bigger tour, um, your locale is now expanded to the entirety of the United States or maybe even to Canada or wherever. And then you can continue, you know, building your rapport and going through those channels when it's, it's a lot easier for you um, as opposed to like just staying local and, you don't have all those connections, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I've noticed like just by talking to you guys here, um, you guys don't bring any ego into the band and you guys also take it very seriously. You guys act as professionals. I think that's, that's something that would help you guys uh, reach that next level. Thanks, man. Yeah. Thanks, man. I mean, yeah, we don't, we're not, very, I think that's why we all kind of work well together is, you know, the, we've, we've kind of like tried to cultivate a, a, a group of people who just don't have egos and like just get along and but we still work hard and try to get stuff done and do the best that we can um i've never really been an egotistical person um it's just not my style um you know and i'm always like kind of like downplaying myself anyway uh internally <laughs> to you know it's just i could always do something better i think and i don't think that um there's really a whole lot of room for ego uh, or, you know, and what, when you, in terms of ego is, is basically being um, super narcissistic and, you know, just thinking you're the best. Uh, it's not a competition. You know, there's music isn't about like trying to be better than everybody else. Um, although it might feel that way, you know, like competition wise, like you're trying to, you know, be the most technical or be this or be that. Um, I think, you know, personally, we're getting older, like Jared, Jared and I are a little older, so we're kind of like moving past that. And Alex is already super mature songwriter. So we're kind of just like trying to focus on writing something that like people can like relate to and, you know, feel like emotions when listening to, because really, you know, growing up back in the day, like I connected with songs that were, yeah, there were sick metal songs, but there was something like emotive, like I could connect to it. You know, I felt that that 
that anger or that presence of the music, you know, rather than just like yeah. putting on a song that sounds like it was, you know, it's just like insane insanity musical wise, you know, which is has yeah. it's fine, you know, but I, I personally, I like listening to songs that like, you know, kind of like give me some kind of feeling or emotion and not just like listening to something to try to be impressed. Yeah, I'm totally in the same boat. I think that's helped us out a bit because we don't have that. Like I, I see it mainly, I mean, just on social media, but in like the technical death metal world or just anything with crazy playing. Um, it's just a lot of like, a lot of energy of people kind of feeling almost like bad on themselves when they <laughs> see someone play crazy stuff. It's like, oh, I, I can't do that. I, there's just a lot of like competitive mm-hmm. feeling in it. But we're, I don't want to say we're not into tech. Obviously we are, but we like, we, we enjoy so much other, we just love music in general, like all kinds of stuff. Um, even when it has nothing to do with being flashy. So um, I think that helps us because that's just not where our mindset is at. It's more just about making music that we connect with and rather than trying to like uh, be the most shocking and impressive band. So it's just not really something we're like thinking about that much. I think as soon as you start um, like wanting to be huge or you start trying to emulate other people, you lose some of that like genuine feel and you also start to do yourself a disservice because you're not putting out what you want or what you yeah. like. Yeah. hundred percent. And, and that comes across too. when you play, when you play live or when you're performing the songs, if you're not really enjoying the song or enjoying what you're playing, you know, whether the, the, the crowd might not notice it, but like intuitively. And I think emotionally it just comes across as like, maybe you're not enjoying yourself or, you know, even in the, the way that you're playing sounds, it's just not as, like passionate you know yeah um so i feel like you you see it all the time like bands playing insane stuff but the members just look totally dead inside mm-hmm. yeah like, yeah yeah i don't know if it's just like a like a flex like i'm not trying <laughs> to look what i can do but i, I don't yeah. know yeah it's kind of a weird thing and like i i have that problem too like i i have had people say you look bored when you play and i'm like mm. <laughs> i'm not you know i'm really for me i'm really yeah. focusing really hard but um, yeah, yeah, so that yeah. I mean, that's probably yeah. It, but I I, yeah. I do I do think I need to work on that, and that's something that I've been wanting to improve on is like my stage presence and like and actually rocking out and jamming out because I think it's for me it's kind of like I'm a, I'm kind of like a introvert type person. I'm uh, I because I I'm not narcissistic or uh, egotistical. Not to say that people who rock out are, but I think that it is it's a part <laughs> of being a showman and like people come out to see a show and when you're just sitting there like kind of bored looking. You know, they're not, they're not going to, how you expect the crowd to feel it, you know, uh, if you're not going to actually rock out to your own songs. So. Yeah, they totally, they feed off of you. Yeah. Um, people have to give techie bands a little bit of a break because they're really concentrating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As an audience member, I can definitely tell when people are having fun playing. And then sometimes I feel like I can tell if they're bored or if they're just not enjoying what they're putting out. But Again, if, if it's something that's really techy, I'm probably going to think that they're concentrating on not fucking it up. Yeah, 100%. That's cool. 100%. Yeah. <laughs> then that's kind of what I'm doing. You know, I just really don't want to mess up, but uh, I still do. So, <laughs> <laughs> how do you guys cover for a mistake on stage? I, I mean, personally, just 
I, I, I have a bad habit of making faces when I make a mistake. Um, but I've realized just watching other people, like, even if I know the band pretty well, if they make a mistake, it's, it's never that noticeable. You know, if you just like screw up a note or two. Um, so as long as you don't give it away, like no one cares, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so I, I try to just keep like, keep going with the show and try not to make any dumb faces to show that I just messed up. Yeah. For the most part, you just keep playing the song, you know, and, and try to catch it. Like we're, well, I play to a click, you know, and I have the guitar tracks running in my, in my um, headphones typically. So, um, you know, that way, if I mess up, you know, like for instance, if I were listening to the guitar player, um, not that I don't want to, I would love to, but sometimes like if, say if I mess up or I miss a beat or something like that, um, and then the guitar player gets lost and they don't know what to play, it's really hard to figure out where you are in the song to continue on. It's kind of a train wreck type situation. So like for me, like if I miss a part or I drop a stick or whatever, usually I can catch back on, but it's just a matter of maybe like you stop for like a beat and then just catch back onto the song. Usually it's, you know, if I mess up then, and I get back on to where we are, the rest of the band can figure out, you know, oh, okay, here, here's where we are. And then, and then they kind of, they kind of like readjust and catch up. Um, yeah. And you're, you're good at that. Yeah. Cause I mean, the drummer, like with Nathan playing, he's got the clicks <clears throat> in his ear. So we're literally all just totally going off of him. And um, I mean, if he gets off, like we're all, depending on him to get back on and he's, he's really good with just getting back into the click. Cause it's, uh, I mean, that could be easily overwhelming. Like, yeah, the show's happening. You're trying to like listen to the click and the MIDI guitars and just get back into the tune. But yeah, it's always, I feel like you've always been strong with that. Haven't had too many like awkward moments on stage or anything. That's good. Yeah. So you guys haven't had like a full stop then? No, not that so. I can That's remember. Cool. I mean, we've definitely had some, some scary times you know but n nobody really seemed to notice uh you know like like alex said you know it's like you have to be pretty in tune with the band and pretty in tune as a musician to kind of notice mistakes sometimes so like the average listener a lot of times doesn't really notice if you mess up um but yeah we've we haven't had any like super super bad uh train wreck moments that i can think of uh you know we've had we've had some bad ones um but not not to the point where we had to stop the song completely and restart. I think that that's just, that's just like a no, no, you know, just that's a that's game over. Game over. Yeah. Don't do it. Yeah. So, mm. you know, it's, uh, has, it hasn't been too bad. And usually I, like, like Alex said, I, um, if I mess up, uh, I just kind of like figure out where I am and keep going. And then we just kind of, we go from there. And you're the only person wearing a click track. Yeah. Right now, at least I've, I've played it. Okay. I filled in for Vervum and we all had clicks. Um, which is really nice because then you don't have to do count-ins. It kind of like helps out with uh, the overall um, vibe of the show. You know what I mean? Because so, the count-ins can kind of, they're not the worst thing ever, but they can kind of like take away from the, the um, performance um, rather than just busting into a song, which I think sounds really cool. Um, but uh, there's also a whole other level of stress and... Um, difficulty that comes with using in-ear systems and computer systems and you know if you're relying on that and it and it goes down then uh that's a huge problem you know and and that's how you practice that's how you rehearsed it so it's like if you're i've seen it before you know with certain bands live you know they're like oh our laptop's dead you know we have to either not play or 
um, or wait, you know, to get the laptop up and running, you know? Hmm. So for, for us, you know, like for my band Singularity and for Archaic, we've always just run either from a session on the MacBook, you know, and we don't run a whole lot of samples. So it, there's not really a need for us to have this elaborate setup, honestly. Um, and it kind of reduces a lot of the stress on myself and the other members too, because we can always just, you know, export that set file to an MP3, um, and play it off of an iPad or something else, you know, uh, that way it's not something that we have to totally rely on a piece of technology because most of the time it works, but when it doesn't, it's really a headache. Well, and it would stop yeah. working at the worst time too. Mm-hmm. And especially like you're just setting yourself up for success by only using, um, only integrating that for a small amount. Yeah, it's just le- definitely less stressful. I think, you know, it's cool, you know, especially for guitar players, um, you know, like with certain sessions and, and, you know, with your Axe FX or your Kemper or whatever, you can set it up to be all digital. And then like it, the, the session will literally change, you know, your, it, it'll increase certain, um, you know, aspects of the sound if you're doing a solo or it'll change, you know, to add more reverb to a certain part or whatever. I'm not like a guitar player, so I don't know the exact names, but, um, mm. you know, it could be stressful when that doesn't work either. Cause then you might be playing a solo and it's like totally off, you know, it's sad. It doesn't sound right. Or halfway through the solo, it starts adding the reverb in and, um, you know, when it works, it sounds amazing. And when it doesn't, it's a huge headache. So it's, you know, for us, I, I like to keep it fun <laughs> and and not yeah. uh, overstress about technology. I kind of, yeah, I've never tried in years, so yeah. I don't really know what it's like. Everyone tells me it'll change your life and you'll never go back, but I'm just, I'm so used to just going off of the drummer and as far as I know, I like that because it feels like that to me that that's like what jamming is. It's just being in a room with other people totally. and listening to everyone else. Um, so, you know, maybe we'll try it one day, but I definitely, I like the current setup. Yeah, I'm down with what we have right now, honestly. Mm. It feels like it would be more organic. It would come out being more genuine if you guys weren't using as many click tracks, whereas it would seem almost too organized playing live otherwise. Would that be? Yeah, right? I, I get that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because like... I feel that way. Like, oh, go ahead, Ox. There's just like a huge difference between if you like go see... Um, I don't know. You go see like Campbell Corpse live versus a very like modern day band. Um, I like, I like the modern, like Uber clean stuff too, but there's something really cool about, or like even Opeth, just knowing that they're not playing to a click and, you know, a song might be played with like more energy one night or more. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's just cool hearing those like human dynamics and human characteristics of the stuff. Yeah. If they want to switch something up or maybe they're feeling a certain song a certain night. I think that's really cool to experience. Yeah. And I think that goes back into the points we made earlier about um, like looking as if you're having fun is you're engaged on stage. Yeah. And definitely, you know, like when, when I was growing up playing with my friends in bedrooms and jamming with people uh, it's about having fun. And part of the fun is playing music with your friends. And, you know, if you're just, everybody's listening to tracks, it's like, it's almost like you're in your bedroom just practicing for everybody while you're on stage, right. you know, it's not, that's, that's what I've heard it compared to is that it feels like you're just in your bedroom yeah. with headphones on. Yeah. I don't know how to feel about that. Yeah. yeah. Cause I, <laughs> like you were saying, jamming with your buddies, like the first time I ever jammed and 
I was playing bass, just hearing like my bass coming out of the amp with like everyone else. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like to me, that's the yeah. that's the magic of it. Yeah, it's sick. You're like looking at your friends, like you guys, you guys just made a sick song or whatever, and you're you're jamming it out to each other, listening to each other, and like you're just like looking around the room, and everybody's like, yeah, you know, like smiling. yeah, smiling, like <laughs> yeah. this is awesome, you know, like it's not you don't get that feeling when you play to a click track, honestly. You know, I love playing the clicks. Don't get me wrong. It makes the playing a lot easier and it takes a lot of stress out of like, am I playing too fast? Am I playing too slow? Um, so I need that, you know, for a live experience, but I do think that there's merit and also help, you know, to, to play without a click, just to kind of test your timing and see how well that goes. But I would never tell anybody that you shouldn't play without a click, uh, or you shouldn't, yeah, you shouldn't play without a click or, um, you know, that you you know, don't play with a click because it ruins your, your sense of internal timing or whatever. I think that that's a bad thing too. I think you should get good at playing with both. Um, yeah. A click, a click or a metronome is invaluable to all musicians. And if you can't play with one, then I think that's something that you should work on. <laughs> yeah. Another thing that uh, not having the click is beneficial for is the communication you guys have on stage. Yeah, I've been trying to get better at that too. Cause like, like, I, like I said, being kind of like, I'm kind of like a, sh a shot more shy and introverted person. I've been working on that a lot, but to kind of like look at your bandmates on stage and see where they're at, you know, maybe you need to do like, we're doing like a big, like, you know, rock star intro and outro. Um, those aren't on the click, you know, they're just random improvising, bah, you know, symbols and kicks and fills and stuff like that. And sometimes you need to look at the band members and they're looking back at you so that you can be like, okay, and we're going to end it, you know? Um, yeah. So that, that communication on stage is important. Um, and I think also just to have fun, you know, like a lot of times I'm like sitting there, like looking at the snare or looking at my drums and I don't even look at the crowd or my bandmates. And um, I don't think that that's, you know, the most effective or fun way to play a show. So I'm something I'm working on. When did you guys get into music and what was your first instrument that you played? Um, yeah, man, I've been into music for forever. Uh, I first like loved hip hop, uh, as a kid, just, I, I had older sisters and they always had like, uh, those top 10 music video things on, on the TV. Um, so I heard, that was like where I heard my first music. So rap was like pretty big in the early two thousands. It was starting to get really commercial. So I kind of grew up listening to that and like loving the beats, um, video game music, my mom getting me like disco albums. I really loved that stuff too. Like the Bee Gees and earth, wind and fire. Um, but anyways, it wasn't until like uh, guitar hero, that video game came out and I got totally obsessed with it. And, um, just like being into video games and the challenge, uh, of course, like the shreddy metal songs were the really hard ones. And then the, just the idea that that stuff was actually playable, like Megadeth Hangar 18, the first time I heard that kind of changed my life. And um, I started with the bass because I thought it was cool because not as many people played it. But <laughs> after I kept hearing just, I would just jam along to songs on the bass and I'd always just get kind of like, antsy when I heard the guitar solos just really wanted to play it so finally I picked up the guitar and just kind of started teaching myself and just the amount of techniques on the guitar that you can do and versatility of it um, I got totally addicted 
yeah, I um, I started playing drums when I was 13. Um, a friend of mine, uh, they're uh, well, they're twins. So I used to go over to my my friend's house, and one of the twins had a drum kit, and he had started taking drum lessons. And I probably would have started earlier, but like I was back in the the phase. I think I was like 12, like 11 or 12, and that was like, you know, if I had if I had gotten a drum kit, then I would be copying him. So I couldn't do that. <laughs> but once I turned 13, and I was like, fuck it, I'm, I I want to play the drums. You know, I had always been air drumming things, and like when I was a little kid, you know, I had a little drum that I always used to bang on, and um, I always thought the drums were the coolest, the most energy. You know, me being like a quiet kind of like. Uh, kind of like a solitary person, I would always, uh, I would like the drums because it's like, it's the opposite of like how I am normally, you know, I'm like, usually pretty quiet, kind of like to myself person and drums are like, not that way. They're very loud and abrasive and um, annoying to the neighbors. So, uh, <laughs> uh, so yeah, I started when I was 13. Um, I really, I think I, I started out um, playing like songs like Toxicity and Smells Like Teen Spirit um and then my buddy showed me slipknot um and i heard the double bass and heretic anthem from joey jordanson and then uh that's basically it you know my that's um changed the trajectory trajectory of my entire life <laughs> uh when i heard that so mudvayne slipknot disturbed pantera metallica uh you know and from there i just got into heavier stuff some of my one of my friends gave me a mix a burned cd with uh Opeth, Black Rose, Immortal on it. Um, uh, Children of Bodom um, and Shadows Fall and a bunch of other bands like that. And I just was like, this is it. You know, I became obsessed with it. Like, um, started just like trying to learn songs by ear. I would air drum songs is what I would do. Is that's I didn't know how to read music or or anything like that. Um, so I would what I would do is I would at night I would put on uh, songs in my bedroom and I would put the TV on and I would like sit in front of a mirror with my drumsticks and I would just pretend to air drum the songs, like just pretending I was like playing a show and like all my friends and, you know, all, maybe all these, these, uh, like the girls who didn't know how I was, they'd be like, Oh my God, this guy's so good. You know? <laughs> yeah. Like I, I miss those days. Yeah. Uh, just growing up and every time like my family was gone, I would like turn my family room into like a, little imaginary stage yeah hall. yeah and just like literally fucking headbangs so hard yeah exactly <laughs> like every chance i could yeah you know so but i honestly do that now um not as a not as kind of like a like a dream thing anymore i i that what i realized is that when i was doing that um i actually was learning the structure of the songs and kind of how to play them so when i would try to play them on the kit like to my surprise i would be pretty close um so now it's it's actually a, a memorization technique for me because i would always do it when i was younger i would do it before i would go to bed um just because that's when my parents were asleep and they couldn't hear me going like this yeah. you know <laughs> um, so uh so now I, I actually do that um you know if i'm really trying to learn the structure of a song i'll like listen to it over, like hundreds of times while i'm at the gym or throughout the day driving around um and mm -hmm. then uh you know it's a more honed in listening uh technique because you can sit there and all you're doing is like listening to the song and it's different from when you're actually trying to play it on a kit because or on an instrument because when you mess up like that distracts you but you can't mess up air drumming really you know what i mean so 
yeah. uh, it's, it's a really like effective way of just internalizing the structure of the song and uh, all the changes and stuff like that. So I do that as one of my yeah. techniques. It's kind of cool now, but yeah, otherwise, yeah. Like Alex said, different musical backgrounds. My, my mom listened to, I actually grew up playing drums in church a little bit. Um, my mom listened to country music, uh, all sorts of stuff like that. And even now, like I, I don't listen to a whole lot of metal uh, all the time. Like certain bands I do like Obscura. I listen to a lot of aborted and cer certain bands that I really like. Um, but, uh, I listen to a lot of synth wave and rap hip hop. Like the last tour we were on, uh, I pretty much, uh, replayed the same rapper G Perico, like hundreds of times. <laughs> we are just listening. That's our, that's our, yeah, that's our, tour, our artist. uh, tour artist music. Yeah. So yeah. very eclectic, um, music taste. Uh, I think then you find that a lot in metalheads is that they kind of like everything. Whereas, you know, the more mainstream people kind of like, they kind of, shy away from anything that's like a little bit too extreme or they think it's you know dumb or whatever but metalheads seem to be a little bit more open-minded about that kind of stuff i think yeah. partly that's because a lot of them have such varied musical backgrounds and they're proficient in so many different ways yeah yeah that's true like you don't you don't typically just come out of the womb listening to tech death like you get into <laughs> yeah. other music first and then yeah. you keep craving something a little more intense and mm -hmm. pushing the limits so yeah i think we all went through different music genres first before yeah. getting to this stuff. Yeah. And for me being in high those. Oh, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, and, and then bringing those influences from those other musical genres that you like, it definitely lends itself well to the music that's coming out now. I mean, yeah. boundaries are being pushed in all directions. 100%. Absolutely. Jared, Jared yeah. does really well at that, you know, like, uh, with adding in those little, you know, cause he's into EDM, like Alex said, like electronic music and stuff like that as well. So like, just adding in those little snippets, it doesn't really like make it sound like like we're playing electric music. But if you listen to it, you'd be like, "Oh yeah, that's like a drop," you know. It's like a break, like yeah, a totally. like a bass drop or something like that, you know. So dubstep, yeah, drop. yeah. I mean, that's like that's my favorite part about metal too, because it's like the just what makes something metal. I think by today's standards, it's more like a just a like dynamic of the music of it just being loud and double bass blast, you know, certain elements. But as far as like the melody and the harmony, um, you can pull from like literally anything and turn it into metal, which is really cool because you get you get all these different sounds under the same uh, umbrella term as metal. Yeah, I totally agree for sure. Mm -hmm. Nate, you were talking about how you don't necessarily listen to metal all the time. Um, and Alex, obviously you like your rap and stuff like that. Um, yeah. what, what metal genres are you guys into or gravitate towards? Um, so I like it, it's hard to, it's hard to really describe, but I like bands. I mean, I like, uh, so like the bands I've been listening to a lot lately is this band called, uh, great American Ghost, um, which I get, I would say that they're more like on a, like a, it's like, there's like kind of like death metal, but like hardcore, I guess I can't really describe the genre. Um, and then I've been listening, I always listen to a lot of Aborted, um, Obscura, uh, Acroasis and Deluvium era because Sebastian Lancer, uh, who did drums on those records is one of my favorite drummers. And I really like, I like his style. I try to like emulate his style as best I can. Um, he's just incredible. Um, and, uh, and then we were hanging out with Mike Lowe when we did the music video shoot and he showed us this band Hath, 
Um, and I've been listening to a lot of, a lot of them. I think they're really sick. Um, so I guess I just like stuff that has more groove to it. Um, more groove element and, uh, a little bit more like, I guess, um, variation to the, like the ebb and flow. Um, I guess for lack of better term, I, uh, when it sounds very 16th notes and square and just, you know, the entire time, uh, I tend yeah. to kind of like, uh, I get a little bit, um, bored. So not that it's bad. Same. I just, you know, it's just not my cup of tea. So. Uh, yeah. yeah, that's, that's for me, uh, in metal, it's kind of like what I look for is, and, and I'm a drummer, so <laughs> sick drums that that's yeah. cool, you know? Yeah. These days, not a ton of metal either. I just, um, from like ages 12 to like 20, I just listened to metal nonstop. Um, so every now and then I'll, I'll go back to an album that I like used to love for nostalgic purposes, um, which is always fun. Yeah. But if I do listen to metal now, it's kind of like the stuff that I didn't really pay attention to back then. Like I was never into brutal death metal growing up. So now I find it really fun to listen to like defeated sanity and right. Severed savior yeah. and, you know, more brutal kind of bands. Um, and on the flip side, also just more kind of cheesy bands like uh, Van Halen and not to call Dio cheesy, but old school. Um, stuff, it's got some you know, cheese, Maiden, but it's yeah. sick. Yeah, just stuff. That, you know, I always liked the old old style of metal, um, but there's a lot of albums that I kind of missed. Like if it wasn't Thrash, I didn't really listen to it. So I've been listening to a lot of Judas Priest and just stuff where it uh, doesn't feel so dead serious and evil. It's like also fun. <laughs> it just puts me in a good mood. And it's, it's just great playing too. Um and back to what we were saying about like stuff being overly clean and with a click, I have nothing wrong with that, but it's cool to hear. It's cool to hear some slop on the tracks, like from the older stuff. Mm -hmm. I like hearing it where it just, it sounds so human and the solos, uh, they don't sound like they're punched in just sounds like a live take, which it probably is. So, um, I've been really connecting with that a lot lately. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's definitely a different sound coming from a time when the, that technology didn't really exist or wasn't as prevalent. Yeah, you just tried to like get the best take you could and celebrate it with all the imperfections. Like, doesn't matter. Just play it with personality, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, that's something that we try to do too. I think for the sake of like, sometimes you just don't, if you, the songs are difficult, you know, like people are trying to write the most difficult stuff they've ever played. Um, and, you know, even for myself, like, I'm not a one take person as much as I would like to be, you know, I'd like to just come in one take and it's done. Um, but it's just yeah. not, you know, it's not something I've ever been able to do as much as I practice. There's always something that I'm not happy with or something I want to improve on. So, you know, sometimes for the sake of time, you know, you might have to just, you know, do it part by part or just, you know, record half the song and then do another half or whatever like that. And it's really for the sake of the record. When I play live, I try to play as perfectly as I can, you know, one take. And I usually, you know, Sometimes I play pretty shot <laughs> and sometimes it's, it's, I, I'm happy with it, you know, I'm, you know, but I'm never like, I'm never like, yeah, that was a hundred percent perfect. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, if it were up to me, I would be able to sit there all day, uh, you know, for, you know, a couple weeks and get the perfect take, you know, but sometimes when there's money on the line and time on the line, you just don't, 
you can't do it. Um, you know, and to be realistic, you know, and, and upfront, you know, like there's some parts that are, you know, kind of like put together, you know, or like maybe the, um, the, you know, the takes are like, it's two different takes or something like that. So, uh, you know, but if it, if it were up to me and I had my own studio, which I'm working on, uh, I'd sit there for weeks on end until I got the perfect take and there wouldn't be any editing or anything like that, you know, but when you're paying somebody else to do it and there's somebody else's money on the line or whatever, um, if you can't do it, you got to get it done. So it has to, has yeah, to happen some way. It's totally just a convenience yeah. thing. It's like something definitely, definitely for, have to... for your ego. It's, you know, not the best it sucks, <laughs> you know? But, yeah. yeah. But like you're saying, like you just, you'd have to put so much time in, um, if we wanted to get these as like live takes yeah. and, but, um, you know, cool yeah <laughs> yeah but I, you know i just i think it's 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 nice to be upfront with um with the fan base and with uh people who listen to this type of music in general is that a, a lot of bands do that it's not you know it's kind of a standard practice yeah, it's now. not mm-hmm. and, and to be to say that you know i'm not saying that everybody does it but a lot of bands do that and you know um it puts a high level of pressure on musicians and uh, to be, you know, perfect and to be able to 100% a song first try with no mistakes. Um, and I think for a lot of people, you know, it's not, it's really not something that happens that often. Um, and I, I don't believe in being disingenuous with the listeners or anything like that um, to, you know, to say that, you know, somebody's playing, you know, extremely, fast perfect notes 100 percent of the time you know sometimes you have bad days but yeah we are we are practicing trying to be the best we can all the time you know that's that's as much as we can do oh it shows too i mean when you keep progressing when you keep trying to do better it's it definitely shows um alex so desiderium is your solo project so what prompted you to start that and is it also safe to say that's kind of like your experimental outlet yeah. Um, yeah, that's been around forever. So I always knew I wanted to start writing music pretty much like right after I started learning guitar. Um, so I've been writing for that. Yeah. Ever since I've been playing music ever since I was like 12 or 13. Um, so that's just something I, I started and, uh, knew that I was going to keep it forever. Basically. It's not like something where I'm trying to you know, I don't, I don't really have expectations for it. It's just something I'm always going to do. So in that way, it is kind of experimental because there's no real goal. It's just like whatever I write in my own time. Uh, it's like me making like a customized band for myself. Like it's me just making exactly what I want to hear. So it'll always be like that. Um, it's a little different than like working with a band and um, being collaborative and all having a common goal in mind. It's more just, I guess relaxed in a way because there's no um can't think of the word there's no like uh deadlines with anything it's just kind of like when i write stuff it might turn into desiderium and then just sort of organize the albums over time that's a cool way of going about it yeah i don't i don't want pressure with it you know i just want to i want it to be something that i love to do and enjoy doing and there's been like years where i just totally don't even think about it and then i'll get obsessed with it again so it just it it's a very like natural feeling project for me yeah 
And then, so do you, um, do you hire like session musicians if you're going to play live or how does that work? Yeah. Uh, yeah. We played a couple of shows back in high school and, um, like some old friends haven't done any live stuff since. So it's been like 10 years and just in the last few months, um, I've got like a local Arizona life lineup. So, uh, yeah, we're trying to play some shows again. That's cool. But yeah, it'll be sort of like, I don't want to call them session musicians. I would just call it like the live band. I'll keep doing it as a solo project as far as studio recordings go. But, um, yeah, there'll be a band to play the stuff live now. And since you're in control of like everything, do you find it more difficult doing that by yourself, uh, when compared to working in a band? Um, not more difficult. No. Um, no, I mean, even with archaic, like the way we do it, I, I kind of like write the stuff uh, in my own time and then I'll send it to the guys and then they, they'll they put their stuff on it, make their mark on it. Okay. So it, in a way, feels kind of similar. I guess it's just more like when I'm writing for archaic, I, you know, I kind of like keep it, keep my ears more sensitive to what would fit under archaic. Okay. So like Desiderium, I'll have some like really, uh, happy poppy stuff and i'm just like you know that's not gonna be archaic right so um little little things like that um but no it's not it's not more challenging or anything i just like i'll, I'll do the bass and program rough drums i've been hiring a guy named uh, brody smith who is a crazy good drummer um so he's been in charge of uh looking over the drum tracks and and going over them and putting his own touch on them making them sound legit so he's really the only guy I've been working with, with the recordings. That's really cool. Um, I never understood how like single person bands used to work because, or do work because there's, you have to, you're in charge of like all the instruments, you're in charge of the lyrics, the vocals. It seems like there's so many things you have to think about. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of cool. Um, I think in that way, like a, a program like Guitar Pro is really, really cool because I can you know, maybe write something on guitar, then tab it out there and then immediately program some rough drums to it, put some synths on it. That might change a riff entirely. Um, so Guitar Pro is just like an immediate way to kind of hear a, a rough version of the full vision at one time. So I can kind of make these like seemingly big compositions in a pretty short amount of time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that that's helped a lot just working in that program. That's really cool. I've learned a lot about Guitar Pro just by listening to musicians talk, and it's 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 really cool that they have these things to help you guys bring more music out and more. I don't want to say necessarily more polished, but that's kind of how it seems. Dude, I think that's been a huge part because so many bands write in Guitar Pro now, and like we get used to hearing our tracks in MIDI. So then when you record it, if it like doesn't sound as clean as the MIDI, it just it sounds like a little bit off. I, I seriously think that's been a big influence on the overly polished sound. Yeah, for <laughs> sure. Yeah. So if fans are looking for Archaic's music, where is the best place for them to find it for you guys? Um, well, at this point, as far as like, if they want to like listen to it, um, it doesn't, it's not a huge, it doesn't really matter. It's not a huge factor. I mean, obviously Spotify is probably the most convenient for other people. Um, all of our stuff is there. Um, as far as like what's going to benefit the band more um is it you know if they were to go to um go to the artisan era website and and pre-order our record um so you can actually just go to the artisan era uh 
website and web store and then just look up archaic and then you should be able to pre-order the labyrinth of hungry ghosts um there's pre-order packages that include different vinyl variants and there's a couple different shirts that we have there um so i think that's what would benefit us the most is to get pre-orders um and uh, like Malcolm said, uh, if we hit 2,000 pre-orders, then uh, he'll do a bass playthrough. Uh, so, and he's not looking forward to it because he awesome. made the bass parts really hard. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, if we get there, yeah. you know, then uh, that would be amazing. Um, but either way, we appreciate any anybody that pre-orders the the record, and that would be the most helpful to us is to um, to get you know the pre pre-sales going, and and then uh, hopefully, if you like what you hear, then uh, you know you'll enjoy the rest of the record. Awesome. Thank you guys so much for joining me today. I appreciate it. And thanks for the time that you've given me as well. Yeah, yeah no problem. Thank thanks you. for having us on here. Thank you for tuning in. And we will see you next time on Gyro Nation Metal. Please don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. The podcast can be found on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. If you would like to support this podcast, please consider checking out my Patreon. Thank you.